want to commend my fellow praise team leaders for uh, doing a very nice job today. I'll sign off on that. So, uh, there's a little bit of reverb here, isn't there? Um, fix that with whatever magic you guys do back there. Um, it's a new year, and a uh, lot to be excited about, a lot to anticipate how God's going to be with us throughout this year. As it happens, with the way things went last year, we didn't really finish up with what we started. So what we're doing now, again, we've learned about making plans. Uh, this is the plan. We'll see how this goes. But we're going to finish up with uh, what we, we're doing on casting vision, talking about vision and identity of the church. So for the month of January, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to finish up where we left off. And then uh, going forward, we're going to start entering into uh, expository teaching of the Word, which is part of our vision as a church, to be a church that's always teaching the Word and going through the Bible. So hopefully in February, we'll begin doing that. Today, we're talking about one particular aspect of, of who we want to be as a church, what we want to do as a church, and that is caring for the vulnerable and the weak. And let me just tell you up front that this is tied to uh, something that we hope to begin. We were hoping to start it in February, but because of COVID, COVID restrictions, we're not going to be able to do that. But uh, hopefully soon, August now is the target date, we're going to start a program to care for needy children in this area, a kind of after-school program. Carly is taking the lead on that and involving some others in it. And uh, this is one way we hope to be a church that reaches the vulnerable people that God cares about. Hopefully there will be a lot of other ways as well. So over the coming months, you're going to hear us talk about this and announce it and give you opportunities to sign up and participate uh, until we begin, hopefully, in uh, August of, of this coming year. But for now, we're just going to uh, introduce the ideas that are scriptural and, and so important to our, our life and the faith. Let me, let me open with prayer. O God of all creation, ruler of all, you dwell in unapproachable light, and yet you descend to approach us, your poor and weak, sinful children. And we are thankful for that. Would you open your word to us now so we can receive the beautiful things that are there for us? In Jesus' name, amen. My dad has told me about growing up in rural Louisiana with chicken houses around. Any of you grow up uh, close to chicken houses? No, that's a, maybe more of a Louisiana thing. Uh, but uh, they don't smell good. Uh, and uh, he's told me about how when he was a kid he'd have friends come over and they would walk outside and they'd be like, oh, what's that terrible smell? And what was interesting is that he didn't even notice it. Because he lived around it. And he'd be like, oh, there's something there. You know, but he didn't even think about it. I think about that this morning as I, I'm wondering if there might be things in our world, in our lives, that stink. <laughs> but we don't even notice them. Is it possible we have gotten so familiar with certain things in our world that we can no longer perceive what's off with our world. 
See, here's what I believe. I believe because of, of my understanding of the, the helplessness and hopelessness of human beings and the great grace of Jesus Christ, I believe we don't just need Jesus to do the right thing. I believe we need Jesus to see the right thing. I believe we need Jesus to perceive the good and the right thing. A lot of times we may be trying to do the right thing and say, oh God, I need you to help me with that, and that, that's great as far as it goes. But what if we haven't even yet seen the right thing? Because we've been so blinded, we've become desensitized as if we've grown up around the stinking chicken houses. And we can't smell them until somebody else comes over and says, what's that? And don't you wonder what Jesus might would say if he showed up to our churches today and said, what's that? Here's my thesis, simple thesis today. God intends for his people, his church, to extend his great love to the poor, the vulnerable, the weak, the outcast. And we have often not seen them. We have not perceived the need. A sort of inflammatory Christian speaker, I believe he's a sociologist, something like that. His name is Tony Campolo. I don't agree with everything he says, and I don't even agree with every, the way he does everything. But, uh, but it is gripping what he has done around the nation with college campuses. He shows up. I believe it's on college campuses where he would do this. He'd show up and, and give a talk. He'd say, I've got three things to say to you. One, while you were sleeping last night, 30,000 children died of malnutrition, starvation, and those kinds of things. Then he says this. Two, you don't give a beep. I'm not going to say what he says. You don't give a, he has the S word. Then he says, what's worse is most of you are more upset that I just said the S word than you are with the fact that 30,000 kids died while you were sleeping last night. I'm not saying I recommend going around saying the S word. Okay. It does get your attention, doesn't it? Makes you think about things. Where are our priorities? Have we put our hearts where God's heart is? Let me give you a test, okay? Just say, when I say, you know, these things he do sometimes where you say, I'm going to say something, you just say the first thing that pops in your head. This is what Olivia does all day, actually. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm going to say a word. You don't say it out loud, but just see what pops in your head, okay? Pure religion. Pure religion. What came to your mind? Because here's how Jesus' brother James talked about pure religion. This is pure and undefiled religion before God the Father. You ready for it? Care for orphans. 
This is the religion God cares about. Take care of widows and be morally pure. Keep yourself undefiled by the world. We used to sing a song when I was growing up, Give Me That Old Time Religion. Any of y'all ever sing that song? Anybody ever think about this verse when you sang that song? <laughs> Give me that old time religion. You want the old time religion? The religion that is pure and undefiled before our God and Father? Care for little kids who don't have enough. Care for old ladies who've lost their support and stability in the world. That's pure religion. And it's shot straight through the Bible. James wasn't just coming up with this as a brand new idea. If I remember correctly, the second most common command in the, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, after do not worship idols, <laughs> this is it. Care for the poor. In fact, if you follow James through in the book of James, you'll see where, you know, he has this whole thing about faith without works is dead. And, and people from my background a lot of times have really wanted to hang on to those verses and talk about baptism or whatever. He's not talking about baptism there. When he talks about faith and works. If you, if you read the context and the, the emphasis he places, he says, um, if you see a brother or sister who doesn't have clothes or is lacking daily food, and you say to them, good luck. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here. Hope you find some food. Hope you find some clothes. He said, what good is that? <laughs> That's right in the context where he's talking about faith without works is dead. Or as John says it in 1 John, if any one of you has this world's goods and sees your brother or sister in need, and you close your heart up to them. How does God's love dwell in you? I mean, this stuff's just all over the scriptures. And yet, now, now there are various ways of giving we could talk about, but but uh, and and the stats I'm using are somewhat dated, so it could be different. But the stats I've seen. In the past, not too far back, the average Christian, I believe the average Christian in the United States, in a world where we live with prosperity unknown to most previous generations, the average Christian gives all charitable causes, including the church, added up together, average Christian gives less than 2% of their annual intake. Two percent to engage in charitable causes, to, to help with charitable causes. And that's what's staggering about even more staggering is that studies indicate that the richer people are, the less they give. <laughs> the average budget, church budget. I've got these up on the PowerPoint for you. I'll put it up there. 
The average church budget spends 75 to 80% of its money on staff, building, etc. Now, I'm not against staff, okay? I am one, so uh, don't get me wrong, all right? But I think we should just pause and think about things. Uh, the same amount of money is allocated to office administration as foreign missions or domestic missions, about 5% of church budgets. That's on average. Maintenance and cleaning receive slightly more. Um, this is pure religion. Make sure the church is well funded and you can keep things running well at the church building. Maybe that would make more sense of the average church's allocation of funds. When we see these things, we have to learn, ask ourselves, have we yet learned the way of Christ? Have we learned where his heart really is? Today, I want to take you into a passage of Scripture uh, where Jesus points us in the right direction. And I know the, the title of my sermon, Jesus Party, doesn't make sense yet, but it will. Give me just a minute. There's a Bible scholar or, or theologian, ethicist, something like that. He's uh, written a leading book in Christian ethics called The Great Reversal. And I like that title. And what he's getting at is that when Jesus comes, everything gets reversed. When the kingdom of God arrives, all kinds of things change. The humble become exalted. The dead live. The first becomes last. Everything's getting reversed because Jesus comes to town. Jesus taught us how to see in a different way, a radically new way. He gave us a new heart, new eyes, new ears. He taught us how to party different. Parties look different when Jesus comes to town. So, so I'm going to take you to, to Luke chapter 14 now. Here's what happens in Luke chapter 14. We're not going to be able to read it all. The first six verses record Jesus being invited to a party, to a meal at a Pharisee's home. Jesus went to parties at Pharisee's homes sometimes. And it seems like they laid a trap for him. They're trying, it's on a Sabbath, and they're trying to accuse him, see what he'll do. If he'll heal a man who has, has problems with his, his disease called dropsy. And, and uh, uh, Jesus, of course, heals him. And he confounds them with his answers and leaves them speechless. Okay? He's still at this party. And here's where we, we pick up the story in Luke 14, verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Now I want, you to, I want you to understand that in that society, so much was driven by their concern for honor in this publicly recognizable way. Being honored for them was like having a job for us, getting a paycheck. Everything centered on them being honored. It wasn't abnormal for someone to say, I want to sit in the place of honor. And for meals back then to reflect this establishment uh, or, or, or to reflect the social hierarchy, who's, who's first and who's last. Remember, Jesus' disciples were struggling with this to the very end. They come to the, the time where they set up the Lord's Supper, and they're, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Meals reflected that in that society. So here they are. They're fighting over or, 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 or rushing to see who can, who can have the place of honor. And Jesus said, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. 
And he who invited you will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your, your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Okay, now at one level, this just seems like good practical advice. And some people even don't like this, this teaching because it seems like Jesus is using worldly wisdom, saying like, well, if you really want to be honored, here's what you do. Act like you don't want to be. <laughs> right? Now, I want to say I don't think that's what he's saying for two reasons. Number one, it just doesn't fit with anything else we know about Jesus. And one of the central concerns, in fact, I would say it's as central as anything else Jesus teaches us, is that humility is at the heart of everything. And seeking the lowest place is not just something you do strategically in Jesus' view. Now, all you got to do is read the Gospels and you'll understand that. That's the first thing, and that should clear it up for us a lot. The, the second thing, though, is just the last verse. Verse 11 seems to clear it up, too. This is a verse that doesn't just appear here. It appears multiple times in other places or something similar uh, in other places in the Gospels. It's an emphasis of Jesus's, and it's not just about uh, a strategic move, a pragmatic way to get, get honored. It is it's, it's, it's this, verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's not, you know, everyone who uh, seeks to uh, exalt himself only by the right means. You know, that's not what it is. You just don't seek to exalt yourself. Right? If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. The point is we're seeking humility. Going down and becoming lowly. That is the way of Jesus. We abandon our exaltation to God. We learn that the first will be last and the last will be first. Do you know that you are made for exaltation? Exaltation is not a bad thing. Dallas Willard says you are made for exaltation, but your exaltation is none of your business. So we don't seek our exaltation. We seek to be humble. And the thing is, everybody at that party would have known, yeah, that might work, Jesus, if we're just thinking of it as a pragmatic way to get what we want. But everybody would know there's a good chance still that that you won't be moved up to a higher place, right? There's always that chance that you're going to go sit down and they're going to leave you right in your, in your low place. Right? So, so in, in that case, Jesus is not saying that you can blame him for that. <laughs> you promised, Jesus. You said if I'd sit down here, I'd get honored over here. That's just not the point. The point is learning the way of humility, learning the way to be last. And this goes right together with, with what we're talking about overall. First, Jesus addresses their grasping for honor. Okay? And then he turns to address the host of the party. And this gets to the heart of what we're going to talk about. He said to the man who had invited him, he also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives. Some people say, yes. <laughs> or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. Anybody have some friends over for Christmas? Some relatives? How dare you? No, you see, Jesus isn't giving a law here. He's not saying, you know, he went to meals with friends and relatives. He's not saying you can never do that. But he's saying, where's your emphasis? Where's your focus? Because most people are centered on these things. 
centered on the people who can pay them back in some way or another. Oh, man, invite my rich friends. You see, reciprocity was at the center of the ancient world. Everybody was always doing things to, to uh, it was no, there was no thought of a, a gift that didn't get repaid. You, you gave somebody a gift, but the understanding was they're going to give you a gift back. And there's always this reciprocal thing going on. Same thing still happens today, actually. Uh, you ever seen rich people who get big gifts from people at Christmas? You're like, why don't they give those gifts to poor people? <laughs> they give them to the rich people because they can pay them back. All right? that, that's the thing. It's the, it's the reciprocity that, that the world functions on. The human tendency is to give in a way that has our own advancement in mind in some way or another. But Jesus comes and he calls that into question. Here's verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor. I love this passage. Just just listen to Jesus. He's just, he's messing with their whole world when he says this. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. That's how to have a Jesus party. You invite the people who can't pay you back. You don't ask, how did they get poor? How did they get crippled? Your concern is to bless them with the love of God. See, the assumption in Jesus' day was that God was on the side of the wealthy and the well-off. How else did they get so well-off? God was on their side. So that's the people that are blessed, and those are the people we want to team up with. Jesus, like so many other times, says, you're not thinking right about God. You got to come to know my Father. That'll teach you how to walk in the world. When you know Jesus' Father, you learn how to throw a party. Nobody ever threw a party like this, at least not often. This is a party where you are no longer thinking about how can the people who come pay me back. You're not waiting for a reciprocal party. These people can't throw a party for you, they are not well connected. They can't pay you back in any way. You may have to take them by the hand to lead them to their seat. You may have to help carry them in and place them at their seat. Jesus says, these are the people you invite who can do nothing for you. And people around you may look at that and say, she has lost her mind. Nobody does that. Who in the world has a party for people like that? That's not even respectable. Why? You see, the answer is always the same. She's been learning under Master Jesus. And she's learning how to see the world correctly. She's learning how to see what God sees in the world. 
Years ago, I accompanied my brother Brad uh, to the nursing home with his girls. It must have been eight or ten years ago. And uh, it was in, it, Brad has always taken his kids to the nursing home, but it was striking. I watched as, as and, and Sydney and I went with him and his older girls, Julianne and Audra. And, and if you've been in many nursing homes, you know a lot of times the people there, some of them are all right, but some of them are dirty and nasty. They've got saliva coming down their mouths, and they, you, know, you feel dirty. Uh, at least that's the way we feel a lot of times when we're not exposed to it. And uh, I watched it. Those girls ran in there joyfully, and they ran up to these, these older people, and they were hugging them and, and getting up close to them and, and visiting with them. And I think they were singing for them, doing things like that. And it was, it was really impressive. And as, as we were leaving, another man who had just happened to be there, a well-educated man, stopped us and and he said, excuse me, he said, you guys, that was amazing. He, he said, what, what are you doing? What's your motivation? Are you doctors? <laughs> and uh, Brad answered, I, I like to say that he took his light and hid it under a bushel. Um, he said, no, no, it's, it's spiritual. And what, I, what I've talked to Brad about since then, he knows too. He missed an opportunity. <laughs> Because what he should have said is, this is because of Jesus Christ. And because I've been learning from him. And because my girls are learning from him. How to see people that other people don't see. And you see, you don't need to be a doctor to love old people in a nursing home. You just need to have the heart of Christ. And to see the people that he sees. I love what Mother Teresa said once. She was touching, as she would do, touch the untouchables. And I believe it was a leper one time that Mother Teresa was touching, holding, hugging, whatever. And some man saw her and said, lady, I wouldn't do that for all the money in the world. I love her answer. She said, oh, I wouldn't either. (laughs) She said, I'm doing this for the love of Christ. Boy, I would love it if people looked at this church, heard about this church and what we're doing, and said, boy, I wouldn't do what they're doing for all the money in the world. And to the people who have the ears to hear, we'd say, we wouldn't either. We're doing this for the love of Christ. That's our calling people who put on the character of Christ. We'll finish up here with uh, the last verse, verse 14. Interesting, I'm going to finish on the last verse, isn't it? And you will be blessed, he says, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, some people think, well, that's selfish. You shouldn't want any repayment. I don't buy that. Um, I think that there... It's very difficult as a human being. There are philosophical issues to talk about, but it's very difficult as a human being to have no thought of reward in any action. The question is, what kind of rewards do we hold before our minds? And who's the source of the rewards that we're seeking? And, of course, you don't just do things for reward. But motivations and reasons are are multiple in human beings as we do things. And we have the the choice to put certain rewards before our minds as as an act of faith and, and devotion to God. 
We hold the immediate pleasures, the self-satisfaction of immediacy before us, trying to get things for ourselves, or do we look to God as the one who can reward us? And this is the crazy thing. I don't know if this hits you very often, but do you realize that God says he will repay? He doesn't just say, this is not what Jesus says, you know, I think you guys owe me one. (laughs) Do it or else. He could say that. That'd be fine. But he doesn't say that. He says, when you go love a person like that, when you have a Jesus party, it's not just that that you don't get repaid by the, the people around you and that I can demand that you do that. He says God himself will take it upon himself to pay you for that. At the resurrection, of course, man, that's going to be awesome. And even before then, we find all kinds of ways that God rewards and blesses us. Do you understand that Jesus was saying this in Matthew chapter 25 when he says at the end people are going to ask him, when did, you know, what's the deal? He says, when you did things to the poor, when you fed the poor, or fed the hungry, when you clothed the poor, when you went to visit the people in prison, you did that to me? You ever thought about that? And Jesus said, you're going to say, well, when did we see you poor or hungry or in prison? Lacking clothes. Jesus said, when you did it, to the very least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. See, when we invite the blind and the lame and the poor, we invite Jesus to come in. That's who it is. It's Jesus we're caring for. When we care for little kids who don't have enough food and don't have anywhere to go after school, that's Jesus we're caring for. What an incredible opportunity to think we care for Jesus, and then Jesus says, I, I want to pay you back for that. Man. You know, as we've talked about this deal with uh, the after-school program, one of the things I've heard, I really don't want to be manipulative in any way, with this, so please hear it in the, in the right way I say this. Um, one of the things I've heard, uh, maybe from multiple people now, is that, that it's going to be hard to get volunteers to do something like that. And I'm not sure I'm going to volunteer, so take it for what it's worth. But I wonder, in a church this size, if we struggle to get volunteers to, to care for children, if it's not because, I don't assume bad hearts in people. I wonder if it's, it's not because we don't understand the opportunity that is set before us. That we have the opportunity to care for Jesus in the form of little poor children. And that he himself will take it upon himself to repay us. And if that's placed before us, 
Wow. Seize the opportunity and care for Jesus Christ. Let me just close this uh, with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for showing us how to see the world. Thank you for, uh, thank you for inviting us to be your hands and your feet to extend your love to others. And please teach us to see people as you see them and let your love go out from us, Lord. And we ask it in your name. Amen.